checkity check what is up everyone i know it's obviously been a little while since we last spoke obviously it's been a crazy crazy couple of days joe biden ended up winning the presidency seemingly pretty comfortably i know there was a lot of uncertainty going into it regarding how long it would take to find out how the markets are going to react all these kind of questions and fast forward to today we know these answers man like joe biden won he won pretty comfortably i didn't want to spend too much time here or really any time here talking about the election itself because obviously everyone and their mothers were tuned into that and they were watching that carefully. So today what I really want to do is kind of talk about what I'm watching in terms of how the parties reacted to Joe Biden winning and reacted to the results of the elections in general and also kind of provide some clarity on where we stand in terms of Joe Biden's transition right now. So we'll be getting into all of that soon but first good morning, good evening, Good whatever time of the day you're listening to this. My name is Rahul Makijani, and you're tuned in to another episode of the Top of the Hour podcast. So first things first, as we all know, unless you've been living under a rock or you turned Amish in the past week, Trump lost, Biden won, and Trump is refusing to concede. It's clear this thing is over, right? Biden flipped states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, even Georgia, all of these places that... Trump, you lost, right? It's over, but obviously his campaign, his camp in general has been refusing to concede. And all these claims about widespread voter fraud, we're probably going to be be hearing about literally till the end of time. I also really think he's never going to end up conceding. He will, even after he's out of politics, if he ever leaves politics, he will continue to say he lost or he didn't lose the 2020 election. It was stolen from him, but he can keep saying that. He will keep saying that. How I really found out and what he needs to get the hint at on knowing that this thing is really over is from a moment on Fox News the other night, Kaylee McEnany, the press secretary for the White House, was speaking and Fox News was covering it. And Fox News, the one media outlet, mainstream media outlet that we associate so heavily uh, with being conservative, literally cut her off. Please take a moment and listen to that right here. You don't oppose our efforts at sunlight and transparency because you have nothing to hide. You take these positions because you are welcoming fraud and you are welcoming illegal voting. Our position is clear. We want to protect the franchise of the American people. We want an honest, accurate, lawful count. We want maximum sunlight. We want maximum transparency. We want every legal vote to be counted, and we want every illegal vote to whoa, be counted. Whoa, whoa. I, I just think we have to be very clear. She's charging, uh, the other side is welcoming fraud and welcoming illegal voting. Unless she has more details to back that up, I can't in good countenance continue showing you this. I want to make sure that maybe they do have something to back that up, but that's an explosive charge to make. Okay, so you heard it right there. Literally, um, Fox News has to cut her off because even they are starting to think that what's coming from the White House, all of this rhetoric about fraud is dangerous. And I thought it was interesting because when literally the president's ride or die network is now starting to maybe distance themselves a little bit, you know it's over, okay? He, he has to take that in. 
But what's really, honestly, frankly, most interesting that I think that's coming out of this election right now or what I'm watching moving forward, like I touched upon earlier, um, I'm really interested to see how this election, how monumental it was in terms of potentially restructuring the parties, right? So to start on the Republican side, you kind of have this weird dynamic in terms of trying to figure out who is going to be the face of the Republican Party in a post-Trump era, right? So on one side, you have the Republicans. On the minority side, you have the Republicans that are distancing themselves from the president intentionally. For instance, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins from Maine. These are two of the prominent ones who have already kind of broken the seal and congratulated Biden publicly. On the flip side, the majority side, you have most Republicans who are still cozying up to the president, still really cautious of getting on his bad side, and they're afraid to come out and congratulate Biden publicly. If you think about it, it definitely makes a, a sense in terms of why most people are afraid to to break this Trump era or to break being cozy to Trump. Because if you think about what they're thinking, right, they're thinking, okay, I potentially want to be the face of this party moving forward. Whose endorsement am I going to need? Probably the endorsement of the guy who received the most popular votes ever as a sitting president, right? And we all know if you get on Trump's bad side, he's making it known and it's over. I really do think it's going to be interesting to see how that party shapes up over the long run, because as it stands right now, even if most Republicans think that Biden won fair and square, they're not saying it. Take a listen here to Democratic Senator Chris Coons from Delaware kind of explaining what's happening right now. They call me to say, you know, congratulations, uh, please convey my well wishes to the president-elect, but I can't say that publicly yet. And wow. um, so when? these are, these are conversations when, best kept and, private. And, uh, okay. And when will they be able to say that publicly? Um, I, 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 my job here, I think, is to continue to urge them privately to do the right thing um, and to help the president accept reality and to help their caucus um, stand up publicly because, frankly, the transition is going to be chaotic at best if it doesn't get moving very soon. So you heard it right there. Apparently, there are little Republicans calling Coons to tell him to congratulate Biden pri privately on their behalf because doing so publicly is going to receive backlash from the president. I mean, in a way, we already said it, the hesitation is justified. Trump is absolutely insanely popular, started a movement like no other. And whether you like him or not, you need his endorsement moving forward in that party, right? As I've said before on this podcast, it's clear most politicians, their only goal ever is to be thinking re-election. And if that is the motivation, you know you need his endorsement. Definitely going to be interested to see who becomes the face of the Republican Party moving forward, kind of watching these tensions as we move on. And uh, it's just going to be interesting to watch. I'm really hoping, you know, it doesn't become a Donald Trump Jr. or somebody else from the from that family. But for all we know, it, it definitely could. We'll be tracking that here for sure. But what I want to talk about now, I want to switch things over because things are actually looking more choppy on the liberal side. If you remember before the elections, most polls... Most people in general were predicting a blue sweep of not only the presidency, but also for the House and the Senate as well. And after the election, none of that really happened. Obviously, Biden won the presidency. But beyond that, they lost seats in the House. They don't look like they're winning the Senate at all. And because of that, tensions are running probably higher than ever. Take a listen here to a clip from Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger. This was after the election on a Democratic House caucus conference call. And just listen to what she had to say. Please do not ever use the word socialist or socialism ever again. Because while people think it does, 
all in all, I mean, what you just heard was a distressed House moderate Democrat from Virginia who almost lost her reelection. Basically, what she's doing is she's blaming the reason that the Democrats were losing seats in the House was entirely because of the progressive wing of the party. So she's justifying it by saying all the attacks that they were launching, all the ads were trying to scare people into thinking that the liberals were becoming a socialist party and this and that. And, and honestly, I mean, if you're anyone who identifies as a progressive or someone leads in that direction, this this is not good to hear, okay? You have a monumental group of voters that backed Bernie Sanders in the primary and really wanted to see the party shift more and more left. And at the same time, though, you have rhetoric like this from Spanberger and so many others in the party who are afraid of moving that way. And they're creating a huge disconnect here that's likely going to end up keeping the party way more in the center than anything. We can get into many reasons about why I feel like this is wrong. This rhetoric sucks. But first and foremost, the point here is that it's not even true. Okay, so take a listen to AOC, who's the face of the progressives in this country, just second to Bernie Sanders. Take a listen because she actually responded to Spanberger's comments directly on CNN. If you look at some of these, you know, some of the, the arguments that are being advanced, that defund the police hurt, or that arguments about socialism hurt, not a single... Not a single member of Congress that I'm aware of campaigned on socialism or defunding the police in this general election. And these were largely uh, slogans or they were they, they were demands from activist groups that we saw in the largest uprising in American history around police brutality. And so the question that we have is how can we build an, an, a more effective democratic operation that is stronger and more resilient to Republican attacks? And I believe that that we need to really come together and not allow Republican narratives to tear us apart. You know, as you mentioned, we have a, we have a slimmer Democratic majority. It's going to be more important than ever for us to work together and not fight each other. And so when we kind of come out swinging, not 48 hours after Tuesday, when we don't even have solid data yet, um, pointing fingers and, and telling each other what to do, it, it deepens the division in the party and it's irresponsible. So you hear her right there. That was AOC. Uh, and this is the face of the progressives in this country. Basically, she's on CNN. And really, instead of being able to use her time discussing her message or her politics, she's just forced in this interview to be on defense, trying to be accepted by her own party and, and kind of bring some cohesion to a party that's so torn apart, right? She's said many times already that every candidate who co-sponsored Medicare for All ended up winning re-election this time around. What Stanberger was saying was just untrue, okay? I, I don't think it's true, right? We saw states with progressives like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, two members of the squad, one from Minnesota, one from Michigan. Both they both helped turn their states blue. And then on the flip side, you have somebody like John Kasich, who is from Ohio, who's a Republican who ended up being a spotlight speaker at the DNC, probably trying to give the message of being center. Ohio stayed red, right? So, I mean, Fox News did an exit poll uh, with voters on election day asking them, 
you know, their opinion on a government-run healthcare option. And 72%, this is from a Fox News poll, so 72% said they were in favor of this. What she's trying to do is bring the party more centrist, if you will, rather than looking like a progressive party or, or becoming more progressive. And we saw what happens. We saw what happened in 2016. After eight years of being kind of center, not being too radical, people were ready for something different. People were ready for someone like Donald Trump to come and shake things up, to come and be more radical. At this point, I mean, the way it's looking, if the Democrats don't figure out an identity soon, th this division is going to keep growing. The younger voters are going to be more progressive, you know, as we go over the years. And if they don't figure out an identity soon, I think it's a dangerous thing. And I really think all that's going to do is end up putting us more in line for the next Donald Trump. Definitely something I'm going to be watching over the next, I mean, I don't know, years, if you will, really. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up here and, and kind of call out what's happening right now. The last thing I wanted to cover or really emphasize and keep an eye out for is something no one was probably expecting, but it's actually from a lady called Emily Murphy. So Emily Murphy is the administrator of the GSA, the General Services Administration. And surprisingly, I mean, above all, above anyone, probably except for Trump, she is at this point in time right now, the most responsible lady or the biggest threat really to the Biden administration's transition. Take a listen here to Mehdi Hassan on his show explaining how Murphy is holding this up. Meet Emily Murphy. Since 2017, she served Trump as the head of the General Services Administration, the GSA, which buys and manages the basic assets that make government run, including real estate and vehicles. The GSA has another job that a lot of Americans are just finding out about, facilitating the presidential transition. Whenever a new president is elected, the GSA signs off on the result, giving the incoming administration the access they need to the federal buildings and senior officials and money to assume power smoothly. When Barack Obama was elected in 2008, the GSA sign-off came on election night. It went pretty easily in 2016 as well, once Donald Trump was the apparent winner. But this year, Emily Murphy, on her boss's behalf, is doing things a bit differently, refusing so far to give Joe Biden her sign-off. In a statement echoing White House denials about the outcome of the election, Murphy's office now says it hasn't determined that, quote, a winner is clear. Okay, so weirdly enough, instead of Trump taking the spotlight as someone holding up the transition, although he is, uh, it ends up being this lady, Emily Murphy, who's everyone's watching. So I don't know. I just wanted to, to bring that up here. Frankly, I mean, I'm doubting the significance of this. I really, there's no way she doesn't eventually sign this. So while it may delay things for a bit, it's not like Biden and his team aren't already plugged into politics, right? If this was happening during the Obama era, I could foresee some issues getting an outsider like Trump up to speed with everything in, in a shortened time. But at this point, Biden's already come out with a list of executive actions and orders he wants to take on day one and also an ambitious 100 day plan with or without Congress. And we'll get into that at some point. Uh, frankly, a lot of it I think is good and necessary. My point in terms of this is I, I don't think it's actually really that big of a deal or as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. You will see on social media, I mean, people are encouraging everyone to go spam Murphy's phone, call her office, all of these things, but she's going to sign it at some point. I know Biden's already assembling his team and his cabinet. We're going to find out a lot about those in the next coming days. So yeah, I mean, big things are are definitely happening in this country. I mean, despite all of the noise about election fraud and all of that, this show is going on. Biden's keeping it moving. Biden's coming in and we'll be tracking the transition as it happens. 
Okay, that is going to do it for today's show, folks. Once again, thank you all so, so much for tuning in. It definitely is going to be a lot of fun monitoring and tracking the first 100 days, especially of the Biden administration. Uh, It's said a lot that the first 100 days really show how ambitious a president is. We'll see what happens over there. But until, you know, until then, we'll still be covering the transition and, and talking about some important stuff that pops up. But as always, stay safe, stay informed. We'll see you here next time at the Top of the Hour podcast.